You're listening to the Florida Bar Podcast, brought to you by the Florida Bar's Practice Resource Center, Legal Fuel, produced by the broadcast professionals of the Florida Bar. Welcome to the Florida Bar's Legal Fuel Podcast, brought to you by the Practice Resource Center of the Florida Bar. We're so glad you're joining us. This is Christine Bilbrey. I'm the director of the Practice Resource Center and one of the hosts of the show, which is being recorded from our studio in Tallahassee, Florida. And I'm Carla Eckhart. I'm a practice management advisor at the Florida Bar and a co-host of today's podcast. Our goal at the Practice Resource Center is to assist Florida attorneys with running the business side of their law practices. We focus on a different topic each month and carry the theme through our website with related tips, videos, and articles. So as part of our continued cybersecurity education efforts for Florida Bar members, and because October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month, we want to dedicate this episode to discussing one of the tenets of cybersecurity, protecting your files. Cyber criminals do not discriminate. They target individuals and companies from all backgrounds and sizes. Law firms in particular make for enticing marks given the troves of confidential information they store and share. Headlines covering the Panama Papers and more recently the Pandora Papers may lead some to think that only firms with enormous bank accounts and ties to potential criminal activity are at risk. But the reality is whether you're a solo practitioner or a large multinational firm, your stored client files full of confidential and personally identifiable information make you a valuable target. We know that cybersecurity is a broad concept that can be overwhelming to firms that don't employ on-site IT departments. So joining us today to discuss and demystify secure file storage and file sharing is Rick Stiles, Senior Vice President of Products and IP at Axel. Axel Go, a Florida Bar member benefit, is an innovative, private, and secure file storage and transfer application. Rick is a communications technology veteran with decades of experience. Rick was vice president of the telecom companies HyperEdge and NA Communications, where he spearheaded and led the development of many innovative communications technologies, some of which are still commonly used today. As Senior VP of Products and IP at Axel, Rick brings real-world implementation and deployment experience with a deep understanding of networking disciplines. Rick has extensive expertise in the creation of intellectual property and is named in several significant U.S. patents, including four current blockchain-specific pending patents. Welcome to the show, Rick. Well, thank you very much for having me, Carla and Christina. It's, a, it's great to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Christina already dropped the B word, blockchain, but I want to <laughs> roll it back a little bit and, and start with something a little more basic and very general. Uh, what are some of the advantages that cloud storage has over traditional data storage systems? Well, if, if you think about cloud storage um, and, and traditional systems, you know, most, most traditional systems rely on architecture that's located on your premise. So it requires IT support. It requires a lot of expertise to manage and handle. Um, So businesses tend to migrate to cloud just because someone else is managing it for you. So you're basically giving them the keys and you're saying, please manage my data. And of course, they put the tools and the interfaces up. And uh, it's, it's it's really wonderful, actually. Simple, easy to use, and, and it does all the work for you. Right. So it's somewhat outsources the IT uh, pain points, I suppose, um, assuming and the costs, of course. Uh, (laughs) I think that that's what a lot of people don't take into consideration. They they may see like monthly subscription costs for cloud services, but what they don't realize is that storing and maintaining that information on premise uh, may actually turn out to be more expensive in the long term. So definitely cost is a factor that I think people should consider in the long term. They shouldn't just look at the month to month. Absolutely. So The pandemic in particular has led workforces across entire industries and including the legal industry, as I'm sure many of our listeners have experienced, to work from home. Uh, Zoom has become very popular. The cloud, no doubt, has suddenly become much more popular. Um, But can you briefly discuss the impacts of remote work on the legal profession and potential cybersecurity drawbacks? Well, that, this is a really excellent point. You know, when, when people are at their office, they're, they're operating in a network and in a system 
that's protected and it's firewalled and it's managed and it has all the, the attributes associated with the privacy and the security that you would expect. When you leave that realm and you go to your home office, then it's entirely incumbent upon you to manage those things. And it, it, it really can feel overwhelming um, to, to you know, worry about how you're going to manage your, your file storage and, and how you're going to manage access from, from the internet, how you're going to work from home, how you're going to communicate those files. Um, <clears throat> and then it goes further. If you, if you, look, at, if you look at the companies that are managing the, the, the transfer of the data, what are they collecting? What are they storing? What are they mining? What are they, what are, what are, what information are they saving that, that you're providing them? So it's, it's really quite an interesting thing if you look at it um, from work from home uh, versus working in a, in a protected environment, such as an office. Right. So sort of to that end, uh, one of the main concerns now that we've worked from home uh, has been security and reliability. And, and there, there is a silver lining to these heightened concerns that remote work has brought about because it's sort of forced us to address uh, the security and reliability of our cloud service providers head on, right? So we can no longer ignore it or leave it to others. We now have to deal with it as individuals, employees, because though the company may be doing everything right, we have to make sure that we as individuals in our home networks are doing everything right. So how do you suggest firms or employers address these concerns and mitigate risks when all their employees are now working from home? From a firm's standpoint, um, and, and you can look at any, any business, most companies will outfit corporate laptops, for example, with specific types of uh, you know, software that's going to mitigate some of those types of things. So they'll set up firewalls, they'll set up antivirus, they'll set up uh, anti-malware and, and software that's going to basically protect the individual as much as they can protect that individual. So it's, you know, companies that, that, that give you the laptop and let you take that home with you, you're, you're better off than, than using your own stuff because your IT professionals at your company can manage and protect you from those things. When you're, when you're incumbent to do it yourself, it gets a little bit daunting when you start to think about it because you have to set up your own firewalls. You have to set up your own uh, antivirus and anti-malware type of software. So you know, from a safety and security standpoint, anybody that's working from home, and, and a lot of companies are doing this now, um, it's best if your company can support you by providing you at least the software associated with that. And of course, they can remotely configure that for you. But again, if you're if you're stuck doing it yourself, it, it can feel a little bit cumbersome. So sort of to the point of, you know, doing it yourself and and potential concerns that may arise from employees working from home, uh, having to learn how to use that software. Have you seen uh, more training perhaps uh, being provided by employers to employees on these sort of basic cybersecurity topics? Okay. So basic cybersecurity and training, there are, there are more employers doing it because they're, they're more aware of the importance of it. Um, some companies are still relying on the IT folks to just install the software and hand the laptops and the, and the devices off to the people um, because they don't want to spend the time to actually do the training. They believe that the software is enough. Um, functionally, for, for me personally, I think the knowledge of, of what you should do for, for protection of your own assets is vital. I think everybody should take an active interest. You know, it. It, look, cybersecurity is boring, right? This is this is like auto insurance. Nobody really wants to mess with it, but when you need it to be there, it has to be there and it has to work for you. So it's one of those things, you know, like going to the gym. You don't want to do it, but you want the results. You want the benefits, right? So cybersecurity and and the education, personally, um, at least on on a minimal level, is is vital in my opinion. And I think it's important. I've, I've noticed since we've been working from home, from home, and even the bar, every my my phone, my bank, my credit cards. Now I I spend a lot of time putting in codes that come to my <laughs> right. cell phone, so multi-factor sure. authorization. And a lot of people are like, I don't want to turn that on. It's a pain. And being in the department that we are in, we are quite aware of the attorneys who have been 
hacked and, you know, that laptops are lost, those kind of things. So can you talk about and encourage people to, what are some of the other things? Like, you know, um, I know that uh, employers can kind of turn on access to mobile devices. What are, what are some of the things that that you, well, you brought up a good one. Uh, Multi-factor authentication is typically offered by most companies that do any type of access. uh, Like you had mentioned banking, um, That's one of the single most important things anyone can do, because before a transaction can actually take place, you have to you have to functionally authorize that transaction. So you you put your ATM card in, you hit a bunch of buttons and things start to happen. And then suddenly your phone beeps and it says, are you authorizing this transaction? Mm -hmm. It takes you just a second to say yes or no. Um, If you if you have uh, if you have a. Uh, Google's another one that does it. If you have a Google account and you try to log into your to your Chrome app, um, you'll see immediately if you have two factor uh, set up that they're going to ask you, hey, was this you trying to log in? Um, It takes just less than five minutes to turn on multi-factor authentication and to point it to a device. But once you do that, you have added a layer of protection that's very, very difficult for uh, scammers and other people to bypass. It's extremely difficult to get around that. So that's a really, really important one. The other important one I want to talk about really quick is the passwords. Now, a lot of us, uh, myself included, are very guilty of reusing or just changing one digit or, you know, uh, be <laughs> right. <What>? Um, <laughs> look, we're lazy, right? We don't want to do this. But, you know, you, you get an email. It's like, oh, you have to change your password. And what do we do? We roll our eyes, right? We're, we're like, oh, my God, I don't want to. And then you just you just change one digit and you move forward. That's really dangerous. It just takes a second for us to, 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 to sit back, take a deep breath and go, OK, this is for my personal safety and for my personal security. This is a seatbelt, right? You're, you're, you're just trying to protect yourself. So just little things like this are just absolutely vital to, to protecting your own content. And, and here's another one I, I want to get your thoughts on because we get a lot of calls from members that are, you know, I won't name names, but the general one is usually, oh, what software do you recommend? I'm running Windows 7 or Windows XP. That's, I mean, so, yeah. So my question to you is, what are issues with running outdated software This is a really or operating excellent systems? topic. And, and the number one issue is that they're no longer supported. If you're running, if you're running an operating system, that Microsoft has stopped supporting, that means that as of the date they stop, no new information is going to be shared with that software. And as you know, and as as I know, every day there's new breaches. Every day there's new ways to do breaches. There's new phishing scams. There's new uh, brute force attacks. There's new ways coming out constantly to steal your data and to steal your information. Your information is important. It has value. That's why people put ransomware on it because it has it has value, a, a significant value. So in order to, to protect yourself, you absolutely must, 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 must update your software always. If Windows says, hey, we've got updates, do the updates because they know more than we do. They're out there right now. They're looking at all of the the aspects and attributes associated with networking, and they see all the new threats. They see this stuff. And so they're creating tools to protect you from it. You just, again, it's like a seatbelt. You really just have to put it on, buckle up, and, you know, (laughs) protect yourself. Right. And, and another thing I think is important for remote workforces to take into consideration is that, especially if they're using their own personal devices to access uh, work systems or infor- you know business information, is that this is going to protect your personal information. You're not just doing this for your business. And I think you briefly mentioned this before. You're protecting yourself, but don't look at it like, oh, it's just something else my employer is asking me to do. No, you're also protecting yourself because guess what? Your name is your name and people are very sophisticated and, you know, cyber criminals are very sophisticated. And uh, I was in a training yesterday, for example, where they talked about cyber criminals using LinkedIn to be able to search your organization and make connections as to where you work and where you live. And 
so just because it's you're using a device for work purposes doesn't mean that your personal information can also be compromised. So again, to the point you made earlier, you're protecting yourself. Yes, you're protecting your employer, but you're well, also yeah, that, protecting yourself. And that's yourself. another that's another excellent point. A lot of the tools that are out there, you know, we get into social networking because we have to, right? I'm on LinkedIn. I'm sure you folks are on LinkedIn. Um, if if a if a, a scammer wants to find out about you, they can go to LinkedIn. They can review, as you said, your your company. Um, your personal profiles, most of those things are wide open to anybody that wants to see them. And so then they can start trying to reach out to you in a manner which seems welcoming. Like you would, you would feel like they recognize you or you should know them or they're, they should be a part of your circle. And you, you have to be very, very cautious of anyone reaching out. You have to be very cautious of where you're getting your emails from. You have to be cautious of the software you're using. You have to be cautious of the websites you're going to. And of course, anything that you access, um, any link you click on, you need to know where that came from. You need to know what the source was. If you don't know what the source was, you can't, you can't execute that link because again, you have to protect yourself. These are, these are, you know, they, they, they seem really simple and really general and by and large they are, um, you know, it, it doesn't take a lot to be safe in a, in a, in a, in a cybersecurity type of an, uh, of a situation. You just have to really be aware and, and just spend a couple of seconds and think, wait, do I know this person? Where did this come from? Where is this going to lead me? You know, there's a lot of ways to protect yourself. You're making such a good point because you can have every high-tech software protection multi-factor, you know, enabled. And the weak link is always us because you click on the link. And I, yeah. I, I've i made such a point of going the opposite way that I click on no links. And I and I tell people, hover over it. You can right. see if, because if it's at Yahoo 6924, that did not come from Microsoft. So. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. Oh, my God. That is so true. The, yeah. If you look at most of the breaches... You know, uh, you had mentioned at the beginning of the Pandora Papers, and and when I heard about that here at the office, I started laughing. I said, you know, if they were using Axel Go, there wouldn't be a story here because there wouldn't be Pandora Papers. Right. Um, we, as people, are our own worst enemy. You know, the the reason that phishing attacks, and you see these these emails from princes of you know Nigeria and all these other countries <laughs> that come to you, the reason that they come in is because they work. Somebody mm-hmm. is going to access that. Somebody's going to give their information away. And that, you know, it, if you're if you're trying to if you're trying to steal information from someone, it is so much easier to just do an email blast like the Prince of Nigeria. I have a million dollars for you. Somebody is going to respond. But if I wanted to do a brute force attack and try to hack into your stuff. That takes technology, that takes resources, that takes expertise, and moreover, that takes time and money. Nobody wants to do that. So they're going to take the easy route and they're going to just, they're going to ask you for your information. And sadly, so many of us just give it away. Speaking of taking the easy route and asking for information, you you mentioned something about being lazy with passwords earlier, and <laughs> it brought to mind this late night talk show clip or segment where they're interviewing people on the street about cybersecurity and their passwords. And they're like, hey, so generally, like, how would you put together a password? And they're like, oh, it's usually my birth year and my dog's name. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's really cool. Interesting. And then it keeps going and they keep the banter going. And they're like, so what's your dog's name? And Uh then they follow up with, oh, what's your birth year? And then it dawns on the person at that point, oh, I just gave the entire world my password. I mean, hopefully the, you know, interviewer told them, go home and change your password before we air this. <laughs> but, you know, uh, ta- can yeah. you talk about password security in particular? Yeah. And, and again, that's a, that's a wonderful point, because if you if you think about our lives, you know, again, we go back to social uh, social network and social media. People are going to put their dogs and their family and their kids and their birthday and their, you know, holiday mm-hmm. information up on Facebook or up on, you know, Twitter or, or WeChat or whatever. We, we, we willingly give away an enormous amount of information about ourselves on a daily basis. So if someone was, was wanting to break into your personal world, um, they're probably going to mine your social media information to try and do that. 
So from a password perspective, you really want to use something that's that's as random as you can make it. And if you have to tie it to something, tie it to something that only you know. Tie it to a secret that you would never tell anyone. <laughs> tie it to, mm-hmm. you know, something. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> right? I mean, you know, let's face it. We, we are lazy. We just put passwords in so that we can get past that step and get to the actual work that we want to do, right? We don't care That's about true. the passwords. We don't care. You know, people do these pin codes. They do, oh, I'm just going to do one, 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 and they think it's clever. And then they lose their Ugh. debit card, right? And then <laughs> what's the first thing you're going to try, you know? Right. Uh, and it's the same thing, you know, they say, oh, we need nine digits for a password. So people put one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Come on, really? Not, not a common, you know, yeah. order of numbers Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's very difficult to guess. You know, I'm going to say it again. This is for our own good. We're protecting ourselves, okay? It's, this is literally a seatbelt. Yes, it's an inconvenience, but it's also simple. It's simple. We can do good passwords. We can be more diligent. It doesn't take any extra time to do it right. <laughs> it takes just as much time to type in a difficult password as it does to type in an easy one. Yeah. And the consequences for a law firm are doing client notification, uh, notification of breach letters, letting everyone you know that trusted you with their information that you It's more the ball. than just yeah. a, a cybersecurity risk. It's your reputation uh, that's at risk. So yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. But there are so many cloud storage providers. So I want to talk about this. Some of the most popular are completely free or offer free service tiers. We get emails... Um, Jeez, such a huge percentage of people that email us, we, we can tell that they're using the free one. Um, and we actively caution our members ab- against using the free platforms because you mentioned that they can data mine those things. They can look through it. So if you're using a free platform to send, receive, or store client information, we'd like to hear your thoughts on the hidden costs of these free solutions. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's absolutely true. You know, you, you, had, you had mentioned that they can mine that information. They absolutely do. Mm-hmm. They collect and store and hold more of your information than you feel like you've given them. In fact, if you, you, can, you can go into uh, Chrome, you can go into Google, and you can look at your history, and you can find out what they know about you, you know, and, and you'll, you'll see that they've got GPS data on you as to where you've traveled to because you have Chrome app on your phone. They've got uh, every website, of course, that you've ever visited. Uh, they have more information on you than, than, than is rightfully so. And the reason that it's free is because they use that information to generate revenue. They sell it to advertisers and advertisers target you. You know, how many times have you gone to a website where you're, you, you know, you want to find a winter coat and then the, the, <laughs> the next thing you know, every single page you open has pictures of winter coats on it. And the one okay. coat is stalking right. you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, and there's a reason for that, okay? And, and, and the reason is because they know that you're searching for that. And so they're going to present that to you because there's more of a chance that you're going to buy it. I mean, if you're presented with a fishing rod when you're looking for a winter coat, you don't really care. You're not going to look at that. You're not going to follow up on that. So mining of your data is a, is a wonderful way for them to specifically target advertise to you. And everybody knows it. And so that's why these free services, hey, we'll store all your files. Facebook, you know, with your photos, you know, you upload your pictures, you upload your information, all your family things. They have they have the right to use any of the content that you put up there. And most of us don't know that. We don't read the terms and conditions because let's face it, who wants to read 28 pages of legal dribble? I, I know All this is a legal channel. All lawyers right I, now are reading that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, yeah. but, but honestly, there's, there's common sense approaches we can take to these types of things, right? There's, there's, there's simple ways we can protect ourselves. Let's, let's be more diligent on how we create our passwords. Let's be more focused on how we access things and what links we click. Let's make sure that when we're using our tools, that they're updated to the most recent version. If you get online and it says Windows has an update, don't close it. Take the five seconds and let it update. Let it do its mm-hmm. job. Let it protect you. Because ultimately, most of these things are easy to mitigate. It's just a matter of we just have to let it, we just have to let it do it. We have to, mm-hmm. we have to take that moment to do it. Something that stuck with me about the free things, someone said, if it's free, 
the product that they're selling is you. Yeah. That's, so that's creepy. That's, it's so creepy. It's creepy and accurate. <laughs> right, 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 right. All right, let's get the the, the creepiness out of it. Uh, Yeah, you think it's helpful and you're like, oh, Google knows where I want to go next. Like, no, they know where where you're going next because you've literally given them everything. But Mm -hmm. at any rate, in 2020, Apple launched what they call privacy nutrition labels that are designed to help consumers easily understand how apps handle their data. So without naming names, even though we already dropped the big G word, uh, how does Axel's privacy nutrition label compare to other popular file sharing and cloud storage platforms? Okay, so from an Axel standpoint, we, you know, we, we, collect, we collect an email address because we need that in order to facilitate the service. And then we validate that email address with you. So you'll, you'll sign up for the service. You'll give us the email address. We'll send you an email to verify that it's yours. Once you verify that, if you're using the service, you know, on, on the free level, then you're done. That's all the information that we collect. Now, as far as, you know, the billing and the payment information is concerned for services, of course, that information is there, but nothing is mined. Um, the way the Axel platform works is the, the content that you store is uh, broken down into small pieces and it's encrypted. And then it's spread across a geographic area of servers, if you will. So the the content isn't mined. It's at rest and being stored on the network. We don't actively look at the metadata. We don't actively look at any of the content that you share because to to us, it's it's always been about privacy and security. You know, I use the Axel platform um, not because I have to, but because it's the safest one that, you know, (laughs) it's out there. I mean, yeah. I've, yeah. I've used a lot of the big name ones. And, and on the surface, they're all pretty much the same, right? They're fast. They're available anywhere. They're easy to use. They're easy to upload and download. And these tools are wonderful. And they make our lives much, much, much easier. You know, I don't want to actually, and, and I'll probably get fired for saying this, but I don't want to pump Axel. I want to pump, <laughs> pump people paying attention. I want them to do their diligence. You know, like you said earlier, if something is free, there's probably a good reason why it's free. You know, there's a cost right. associated. Mm-hmm. So in short, your privacy nutrition label is fairly condensed and short in comparison to yeah. other platforms. We've got your email address and that's pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the extent of what right, we know right, about right. you. So, and again, that's important. And and a lot of places will tell you what information they're looking into. Like if you log into Chrome, you can see what other apps are using your profile. Like every time you click sign in with Google or sign in with Apple, even though Apple's trying to make it a little more secure, the reality is every time you sign in with that handy dandy account, Mm -hmm you're giving them access in a way. And then there's also the the plugins, you know, oh, this plugin makes my life easier. Well, they in order to plug into that service, they need access. So they tell you, it's not like they're hiding it from you, but it's incumbent upon you to make sure that only those that you want to give access to actually have access. Well, that's absolutely true. And they're also dropping cookies in there. So every, mm-hmm. you know, of course, Chrome has their cookies and then every site you go to has theirs. And what these what these little software files do is they track your information. They they watch where you go. They report that information back to Chrome, for example, the Chrome cookies. But then you go to the Amazon website because you want to buy that jacket we were talking about. And so Amazon drops a cookie in. And then you buy something from whatever vendor, and then that vendor drops a cookie in. And then you go read the news, and the news agency drops a cookie in. And so the next thing you know you've got 20 or 30 or more of these tracking mechanisms in your system watching everything you do simultaneously. So they're all seeing this information and they're reporting it and they're storing it and they're using it to advertise to you. Can you talk about cookies? Because I have a feeling that yeah. a lot of members are like, hmm, chocolate chip. <laughs> um, and, and we see the, the notices on every website pop up that are like, oh, accept all cookies or whatnot. Yeah. Can you explain the cookies situation and sort of make sure that people understand? I feel like they shouldn't have named it that. that um, <laughs> yeah. They should have named it it's, something it's else. It's too happy and friendly. <laughs> yeah, technology people are, are a weird bunch. We're not exactly right um, all the time. But 
yeah, it's it's basically just a tracking mechanism, right? It's just a little communication mechanism that says, if you talk to this server, tell me what you said, right? And that's all it really does. So so these little tiny pieces of software say, okay, I'm going to talk to Chrome, and then Chrome is going to monitor that traffic between me and Chrome. Okay, so then then I go to Amazon, so that they drop a little tracking piece of software so that you can talk to Amazon. So now you've got the Amazon one and the Chrome one, and they're both talking, and they're both watching, and they're both reporting the information. So when you type in, um, you know, uh, barnesandnoble.com or whatever you type in, that information is going to be shared with Amazon, and it's going to be shared with Chrome. So these cookies, as they exist on your, your devices, are just going to continue to collect and report data. So again, to clarify for our listeners, we're not talking about chocolate chip cookies or sugar cookies. No, ma'am. These cookies are <laughs> tracking you. Um, and, tracking and, you, you know, yes. it's not sometimes you're just going to click accept anyway. And mm-hmm. there's no guarantee that click not clicking accept all isn't going to drop a tracking cookie uh, anyway. I mean, the reality is they're everywhere. And and we just have to be mindful. Again, it's it's not about not using technology altogether. Right. It's about being mindful of what information you're putting out there and what's being tracked and what isn't. And people don't realize that the cookie is like it's also a little um, like footnote that you have been to that website. Right. So cookies come up when they're like, "Hey, um, I was reading the article on Washington Post and it said I'm out of articles, uh, the limit for the month." And I'm like, "Clear those How cookies." How do you know? <laughs> yeah. How do you know? They don't exactly. know you've been there. How do you know? That's a that's an excellent point. And yeah. You, you hit the nail on the head. It's about our, our, our doing the diligence to really protect ourselves, right? Just being aware. None of this stuff is rocket science. It's very, very simple. It's very easy. Um, the, the reason that you're seeing the pop-ups now where you have to uh, allow is because people like us, like you and me, we're getting a little bit smarter about what we do online. And so the laws are starting to change and they're, and they're telling these, these large conglomerates, hey, you need to tell people when you're going to track information. You need to tell people when you're going to collect information. So that's why you're seeing those things pop up. So, so I would encourage your listeners, don't just click it off. Take a couple of seconds and read them. Most of them are pretty, pretty simple to go through. It's only a couple of paragraphs, but take a look at it. And if it gives you an opportunity to change the settings, go in and see what those settings are. Because a lot of times it'll say advertising cookies and marketing cookies or just operational ones. You know, which Mm -hmm. ones do you want to allow? And most systems configure it so that the marketing and the advertising cookies are turned on. You can turn them off. So if you go in and you look at the advanced settings in there, a lot of times you can turn that stuff off so that the only thing that remains is the part of the cookie that's required for the function of the communication between your device and the website that you're working with. And it mean, it makes you feel like you've taken back some control. It's really, I think people are like, I have no idea how to do that. If you Google, you know, clear cache and cookies. <laughs> <On or Google. laughs> yeah, yeah. But, no, it's it's Google, so yes. simple. Yeah. It's so simple. <laughs> yes. And um, But it does make you feel like, oh, I can change the settings. I don't right. have to be. And you can do it by website, which mm-hmm. I don't think people realize. You, you can change what website collects what information. You can grant access uh, to your mic. I know a lot of websites request access to mics, cameras, pictures. We get pop-ups all the time. You can change that just because you accept it the first time doesn't mean you have to give them continued access to the end of time. Um, so that all those settings can be changed. And again, it's important for people to just take the time because you're saving a lot on the front end as opposed to having everything go wrong, not taking the time to train yourself and learn just at the most basic level what these things are. Yeah, that's so important. That is so important because a lot of these apps ask for access to information they don't need. We would like, you know, you, you, let's say you, you, you've, got a, uh, you've got an application that's for, I don't know, it's a, it's a book reader, right? It's just a reading app. Um, and it asks for, it asks for uh, access to your camera or it asks for access to your contact database and you're, or it asks, asks for access to your photos. You're like, wait a minute, why do you need this information? Mm-hmm. You're just a reader app. I just want to use you to open PDF files. So that's a that's an incredibly uh, important point. We just need to we need to try and and slow down when we see these things. Take a moment to read. Take a moment to think through it, 
and take back some some more control. I mean, that's really what it's all about. And and as you said, it's empowering when when you can turn off something and still have everything work. It's a wonderful feeling because you're taking back some of the control, and that's vital. That's absolutely vital. So, I want I want to get into the more, and I don't want people's ears or eyes to glass over. Um, But the reality is when people hear the B word blockchain, um, they kind of automatically assume Bitcoin or cyber currency of some sort. But can you explain blockchain as a as a technology in simple terms? Well, yeah, sure. And and, and how it can have far reaching (laughs) applications outside of sort of the cyber currency realm. Yes. And specifically how it is used for secure file storage and file sharing. Well, yeah, yeah, we can talk about that. So, so blockchain is really a technology. It's, it's the technology, as you mentioned, behind Bitcoin, you know, everybody's, everybody's focused on the on the, the cryptocurrency aspects of it. Oh, this is really great. You know, this this digital money that transcends boundaries and all these. And, and yeah, that's all cool. But the technology behind it is really what what comes down to a democratization of the network. So if if you look at if you look at the telephone industry, for example, and we're going to make a real quick analogy. Um, back before there was divestiture, there was one telephone company. It was the Bell Company, right? Mm-hmm. The United States was covered with the Bell Telephone Company. And then the feds said, wait a minute, nobody can have a monopoly but us, you know, the post office. Um, anyway, so <laughs> they uh, they they <laughs> divested it, right? They broke it apart. And then it became more uh, competitive. It became more democratized because now you've got you know, at the time, I think it was 17 different telephone companies that all were born out of this one bell-shaped telephone company. So blockchain is like that. It's, it's, it's a democratized network. The, the, the owners of the network are people like you and me. They're hosting what we call nodes, which are just basically computer servers, right? It's just any computer can be a server. Your laptop can be a server. So it doesn't have to be anything technically advanced or powerful or anything, any, any, any computing device can be used to complete a network. So what a blockchain is, is it's a ledger. Like if you think about when you go to a hotel and everybody signs this book back in the 1800s and all these names are there, and then you can go look <laughs> in a museum and you open that book and all those names are still there. That's what a blockchain is. The blockchain creates a ledger that is permanent and it collects all the information for all the transactions that occur on that chain. So if you want to know when a transaction occurred or how a transaction occurred, all that information is on that ledger. Now that ledger is shared throughout the network. So every computer connected to that blockchain has a copy of that ledger running through it. So the the network is now democratized because everybody has all the same information. Okay. And it's not one, uh, one governing body running that network. And when we go back and we mentioned the G word, we talk about Google, you know, their, their networks are owned and hosted by Google. So they control and manage and own all of it. Apple is another one. Apple owns their network end to end. Apple networks talk to Apple devices. It's, it's an enclosed system. A blockchain is an open democratized network so that not one entity owns and manages that network. And, and at that point, it becomes more of a public utility, right? Because everybody has a, has a vested interest in making sure that that network stays accurate and stays functional. So it's, it, the technology uh, beyond the, the Bitcoins and beyond the Ethereum tokens is, is really quite fascinating. And, and what makes it more secure being that everyone has access to the ledger? Now, if you explain it in those terms, what makes it more secure? So the security portion of it, and let's talk about files particularly. So if you store something on a typical cloud storage platform and, and fill in the blank, right? Put, put whatever, whatever cloud storage name you want in, they own and control the servers that are hosting the content that you're storing. So they have full access to everything that you've given them, right? With a blockchain, when you've got a democratized network and Everything is decentralized and distributed. Suddenly, you've got all of these different computers geographically spread across the globe that are holding pieces of this information. 
So not none of them are holding all of it, but all of them are holding some of it. So now it becomes far more difficult for someone to do, let's say, a brute force attack. Um, someone wants to break into my files that I've stored on on the Axel network, for example. Good luck doing that. You know, there are hundreds of nodes globally supporting this network right now. Which one are you going to attack? And when you do attack it, what are you really going to get, right? Because you don't know where my content is stored. You know, we, we, we did an article uh, recently where I had made a reference about a bank. You know, if people want to steal money, they go to a bank, right? Because they know that's where the money is. But what if we didn't store money in banks? Then where would they go to steal it? They would have to go to the individual. And if you, if you think about the way that, that that works, then everybody that uses that bank suddenly isn't losing all their money. It's only going to be the person. It's only going to be the individual. So if someone successfully steals your information, they can successfully steal your money, but they can't get access to everyone else's money because it's decentralized. Speaking further on that, what are the benefits of a decentralized system? Obviously, it means that not all of your information can be stolen all at once. But generally speaking, let's say on the Axel platform or any platform that employs uh, blockchain or IPFS technologies like Axel, uh, what are the benefits of such a, a file system? Yeah, so the benefit really is, again, as I had mentioned, we have the democratization but um, the IPFS specifically does file fragmentation. So instead of storing a file in its entirety and putting an encryption on it, you know, first of all, if, if you're using a centralized service, they probably offer encryption. And that's an important tool, and you should use that tool. But when they offer that tool, there's a very good chance that they can unencrypt it because they provided that tool. With a blockchain network, when, when you're using an IPFS technology that does the, the file fractionalization, it basically breaks apart the file and then it encrypts each one of these pieces, but only you hold that encryption key. So only you can pull from all of those fragments that are spread up across the entire network to get the information back. Once it's broken apart, it's, it's, if someone were to get a piece of the file, it would be an encrypted, nonsensical, uninterpretable thing, you know? I'm picturing this as like a million piece jigsaw puzzle. Yeah, you if can't you draw my jigsaw yeah. puzzle because yeah. I've encrypted each piece with a different person, but I can always bring it back. Is it? Yes, that's exactly fair to say. If you drop a glass on the floor and it shatters, that's basically what this fr file fragmentation is. But then you can magically put that glass back together with no seams and cracks. And that's what's the important part. It, it's That's where the protection really comes in. I mean, look, we can we can put you know, AES-256 encryption and all these big words uh, out there that are very technical and, and work really hard to protect your data. But at the end of the day, you're going to be the gateway, right? You're going to be the, you're going to be the gatekeeper of your data. So that the Axel network uses the IPFS and we use these advanced technologies and we can break these files apart and we can do this magnificent stuff with it. But if you give somebody your password, <laughs> uh, we can't help you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I came back to that because that's really kind of the point of this whole cybersecurity month, right? We have right. to protect mm -hmm. ourselves. We have to take care of ourselves. We have to pay attention. So <laughs> I, I, I want to stay on the topic of blockchain because, again, this is <laughs> it, it, it sort of mystifies people because, again, sure. they always just assume Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, Ethereum. What's the the other one with the dog face on it? Oh, oh the do dog coin or do do yeah. DOG. So, so yeah. people, people only see these headlines in reference to blockchain. And I just, again, want to have you further elaborate how the blockchain technology employed by Axel is different than blockchain Bitcoin. Bitcoin. So, mm -hmm. I, and I know in doing my reading, there was a uh, mention of proof of work and proof of stake. Can okay, you explain yeah, so, those? So sure. Let's talk about consensus mechanisms. So one of the things about a democratized network is there has to be a way for the network to say, we're going to approve a transaction. So in a centralized system, the transaction is approved by the manager of that system. So if you want to do buy something from Google, Google's going to approve that transaction because they own the network. They own the they own the uh, IP. With a with a blockchain network, the transactions are approved 
through a number of different mechanisms. Now, you had mentioned proof of work. That's that's what they call a consensus mechanism. And a consensus is, is what? It's just reaching an agreement, right? So on, on a Bitcoin network, the, each computer that is connected to that network is running a mathematic cryptographic algorithm to solve a puzzle. And the first one to solve that puzzle has done the proof of work. They return the right puzzle answer to the network and they have earned the right to authenticate that transaction. Now, once that transaction is authenticated, they get rewarded in Bitcoin. And that's how the network powers itself. So the people that are running the network have a vested interest in making sure that network is up and running and making sure that the transactions are verified because as it's verified, they get Bitcoin. That's how that network works. With the Axel network, we're using a method called masternode technology. Now, masternodes are designed so that you have a stake. Okay, so you can't run a node unless you you physically acquire the tokens required to power the node. So let's say, you know, for example, and I don't want to make this too technical. Um, I know you guys are laughing because it's probably going that way. And I really apologize. I want to keep no. it simple. I want to keep it simple. Um, you, you have to have a number of tokens in your wallet to turn the node on and you have to leave them there. Okay. But in return for that, that node is going to generate tokens and add them to your wallet. So once again, you're going to have a vested interest in doing it. Now, the reason that Axel created their own network is so that we could control the transaction costs. You know, you had mentioned Ethereum a couple of minutes ago. Ethereum works, and again, we're going to try and keep this simple. The more money that you pay, the faster your transaction is going to go. That's how okay. it works. Okay, so if you're willing to spend more money, you're going to get a quicker transaction. If you don't want to spend the money, you're not going to get a quick transaction. Um, the Axel network doesn't doesn't work like that. The transaction speeds are as fast as we can possibly make them, and every transaction basically costs the same, and they all have the same priority. So that was one of the reasons we went forward with our own because we looked at other networks and there's some wonderful technology out there. I mean, I'm a, I'm a tech guy. I've been a tech guy all my life and I see this stuff and I just get excited because it's, it's wonderful and where it's going is, is amazing. And the tools we're creating are, are really, you know, second to none. But uh, when, when you take a step back and you look at functionally what's important in a network for storing files, sharing files, protecting files, um, making it easy for people. Those are the things that we focused on when we created the Axel Network. How can we make this safe? How can we make this simple? Because you guys, you're not technical, right? Most people aren't. But they just want it to work. It's yes. like your microwave. You don't care how <laughs> you don't care how things get microwaved. You just want your soup to come out hot, right? So that's what we focus on. And when we created our network, um, it was it was built around those principles. Make it easy, make it transparent, make it fast. Right. So I just for our listeners, Axel or any similar platform uh, that employs blockchain technology or IPFS or all this stuff we've just talked about. Uh, the reality is you need to know none of that. Uh, <laughs> when you use these platforms, they're meant to make it just as easy as the platforms that don't use uh, these more secure systems or that have these more secure networks. Uh, you know, so, so don't be discouraged. Again, we just want to get a little more in depth mm -hmm. during this sort of conversation so people realize that this is happening behind the scenes. You know, that, it, you, you know, just because all you give Axel is, you know, uh, an email and a password to log in to be able to store and share files doesn't mean that there isn't complex, secure blockchain technology powering all of that in the background. But you don't actually see that. You're not actually yeah. making transactions or storing anything in your digital wallet or anything like that. It's it's not Bitcoin. And, but, and but that's we also, the point. Yeah, we want the people to know there's a difference. And what, right. we're, what we're trying to educate you on, and we're making, we're kind of stretching people's attention span right now, but there's a difference between platforms. And, you know, we throw out these acronyms. We guess we want you to know a little bit of the jargon. So if you're, if you're interviewing a cloud provider, you can use the jargon and say, this is good. This is bad. So like Carla already and, and you, Rick, have said IPFS, which is interplanetary file system, which sounds like Star Trek. Um, 
what is that? Like, I, I, if I'm going to use the, the phrase IPFS, what am I saying? Well, okay. So, so it is interplanetary file system and the name is funny. <laughs> and if you go search it, you'll find out that it was actually designed to communicate between planets. That was the actual oh, fun. Wow. Yes. Yes. Go look. Fun fact. Right. <laughs> that was, that was, I actually giggled when I saw that. I thought, all right, you know, Elon's <laughs> going to Mars. We're going to send files to Mars. This is going to be awesome. Um, but, but, but that, that's what it was intended to do. It's supposed to be a communication language to allow all the files to, to communicate, to, 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 to use the same network. It's, it's, it's a language basically, right? So okay. if your file storage system uses IPFS and my file storage system uses IPFS, they can talk to each other so that we can grow our network, right? Axel has a great network, but it's, it's finite to a degree, right? Because it's using IPFS and let's say other storage facilities aren't using that. So my language isn't compatible. I'm speaking a different language than, than they are. So the, the reason IPFS was created was to create a language that would allow everybody to use it and to manage their files accordingly. Now, we adopted it, frankly, because it's really really secure. It's really safe. Um, I can't think of a better way to store something than to literally break it apart into, you know, dozens and dozens of small fragments, encrypting each one of those fragments, and literally just sending them out to a swarm of nodes, you know, willy-nilly, and having all those little pieces stored in varieties of places versus taking that file and putting it on a single server. So just that concept alone makes IPFS amazing, mm-hmm. right? It 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 because absolutely, <laughs> yeah, it's it's really cool. So that's that's what you're saying when you're talking about the interplanetary file system. It's really just a language. Okay. So and again, I, I think you may have mentioned this before, but I want to know from you. To your knowledge, do any of the other popular cloud storage or file sharing platforms use blockchain or IPFS technologies in their products? There are a number of other uh, companies coming out with, now I don't know what what the status is on their launches and I don't want to mention the other names, but uh, off the top of my head, I can think of three or four right now that are using both IPFS and blockchain. And, um, you know, architecturally, everybody's a little bit different. But by and large, functionally, those are the same. Now, we, we'll go back to the, to the telephone analogy again, because I want to make a point that for blockchain to succeed as, as a delivery mechanism, and again, it should succeed because it's democratized, right? Because it's not owned and managed by one individual or one overseeing company like the Bell system was, right? It's broken apart. So for blockchain to really be successful, it has to allow communication between networks. So our Axel blockchain network theoretically needs to one day communicate with the Bitcoin network and it needs to connect to the Ethereum network and it needs to connect to the Dogcoin network and it needs to connect to all these networks so that everybody and everything is interconnected, but yet it's democratized. So it's still decentralized. It's still distributed. It's still not under control of a single entity or a single you know, manager, right? Because then it becomes a public Mm -hmm. utility truly. And then it has just enormous value for the people. Excellent. I, even I can grasp that. Oh, and it just popped in my head. It's Dogecoin. Doge, yeah. Dog I, on it. Sorry, it's been driving me crazy. <laughs> dog with an E on it, yeah. <laughs> I knew it was something with the dog, but you know, whatever. Exactly. Uh, the point being made was that what we're talking about with regard to file sharing and fires, file storage, even though the technologies behind it are the same or similar, uh, it's different. And that blockchain does have applications outside the cryptocurrency realm, as obviously you've explained with Axel. Speaking of Axel, <laughs> many of our listeners may be worried of outright abandoning their current cloud service providers and may be wondering how they can instead integrate Axel into, into their existing workflows. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Are there any integrations or plugins? How, how does one go about bringing, you know, everyone on board with Axel? 
Well, Axel's app-based, um, and, and it's done that way because, as you had mentioned earlier, the important part of this is that it works, right? We don't want to do a mm-hmm. lot of configuration. We don't want to do a lot of setup. We just want something that works. You know, if we hit the gas, we want the car to move forward. That's, that's what we want it to do. We don't care how that happens. And so everything with Axel is, is application-based. We've got web-based apps. We've got downloadable apps. We've got smartphone apps. We've got all the same types of tools that your users or your, your listeners rather are used to using from all the other cloud providers. So it's, it's a drag and drop world, right? You can drag your files into it. You can drop them. They're going to, they're going to load into the system the way that they're supposed to. You can of course give them the naming conventions that you want to give them and you could set up your folders and it literally all of the same tools that you would be, you would be used to using. So anybody that wants to jump in and try Axel can do so. And I think you're going to find that it's 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 very it's all very familiar when you when you load it up. It's all very familiar, so it should be very simple for uh, to, for folks to to jump onto. That's great, and it we I think we mentioned this at the at the beginning, but it is an approved uh, official Florida Bar member benefit. So um, you can find that on our website. I also want to throw in a disclaimer for the non techie because I got to look out for my fellow. <laughs> I think when people hear Bitcoin, they think, ooh, risky. But that's because the price goes up and down, yeah. not the technology. Axel is not risky. I just want to separate those things in their right. mind. So, right. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, There. there's, th- th- again, I think that's why I wanted to bring it up, why we wanted mm-hmm. to have you on the show, because we want people to use secure solutions uh, for storing, sharing their files, especially as we said, because we are seeing a huge increase in remote work. And the reality is yep. there's a lot of organizations, a lot of law firms who are going to maintain at least some level of remote work going mm-hmm. forward. And all of these things are things that need to be considered. And even for your individual, for yourself, you know, even if it's not something that your employer is asking you to do or implementing, something for yourself to share going forward because we all share files. Yeah, a reliable, safe place to be right. doing that. Yeah, that's so important. That is absolutely so important. And 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 another uh, point on the blockchain, the 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 token portion of it, like you had mentioned, Bitcoin and the Ethereum token and all these these risky, uh, you know, financial uh, attributes. Those are separate from the actual network itself. The technology that went into the network is mind boggling. But at the same time, it's it's one of those things again that. When it's distributed and decentralized and individual people can own a piece of it, then it becomes a utility. Then it becomes a tool that can be mm-hmm. used by everybody. You know, most people don't know these, these blockchain algorithms and these codes, they're open source. They're published on websites. You can go download the Axel algorithm. It's publicly available. And the reason it's publicly available is because we want people to adopt it. You know, you won't see large file storage companies publishing their coding. That's not something that they're going to do. They're going to keep that to themselves because they're mining your data and they're they're using your files mm-hmm. and stuff for whatever they're going to use them for. Um, but in the blockchain world, companies that are supporting this technology are making their information public. And they're doing so because it needs to grow. It needs to become interconnected and it needs to be a utility. It needs to be something for the people. So the technology is different. And, and that, that kind of, again, goes back to the secure aspect. It is so secure that even making the source code public does not compromise your individual Correct. files. And I, I think that's important for people not to know. Not in any way. Yeah. Right. So, uh, again, it's it's different. It's, it has nothing to do uh, on the service level with uh, Bitcoin or anything like that, even though the underlying technologies are very similar or the same. So with that... And even though we've gone through any number of tips, uh, we are nearing the end of Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Um, so do you have any parting cybersecurity tips for our listeners? I would encourage people to just, you know, turn this, turn, turn the podcast off after you've listened to it. You know, thank your, uh, your podcasters and go change your passwords, please. Stop, <laughs> <laughs> Stop using all the old passwords over and over and over and over again. If you if you have one password for your your email, it should not be the same password for your bank. It should not be the same password for your Netflix. Please go change your passwords. Please be diligent. I know it's it's 
it's awful and we're lazy and we don't want to do it, but it's so vital and you're going to protect yourself. So please protect yourselves out there. Be safe. Excellent tip. And everyone can do it. So uh, thank you. Well, it looks like we've reached the end of our program. Thank you, Rick Stiles, for joining us today. It was my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. If our listeners want to learn more about securing their files in the cloud, where can they find those resources, the Axel resources? They can find them at axel.org and axelgo.app. And that's where you can get the application and that's where it, uh, it can be downloaded from. And there's a lot of good information on there. So I would encourage your, your uh, listeners to go take a look. Great. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. Join us next time for another episode of the Florida Bar's Legal Fuel Podcast brought to you by the Practice Resource Center of the Florida Bar. I'm Christine Bilbrey. And I'm Carla Eckhart. Until next time, thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalFuel.com. Don't miss an episode by subscribing to the Florida Bar's podcast via iTunes, Google Podcast, Spotify, and RSS. Find the Florida Bar's Practice Resource Center, LegalFuel, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by the Florida Bar. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.